Well, um, we have been in a, a series on Ephesians uh, that we've been doing um, for a couple of weeks now. Um, and so uh, I want to try and do our memory verse, trying to build scripture in us all. Uh, and so the memory verse is from Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It, it, there's three things, three commands. It says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And then it gives you the reason why. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Do you think you can remember that? <laughs> Doesn't sound very confident. Let's try it together, okay? Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. One more time. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So this morning, uh, we're going to kind of continue on with uh, Paul's uh, talk to the, uh, to the church at Ephesus, uh, and he's going to talk about this idea of belonging. Uh, and so I just kind of uh, want you all to say to one another, person to the right and the left, say, you belong here. Yeah, both sides. <laughs> Good. Some of you absolutely believe that. You've been a part of this church for years, for decades, some of you. You have been involved in all kinds of ways. You've given sacrificially. You've volunteered hundreds and hundreds of hours. There's no doubt in your mind that you belong here. Some of you are new, uh, and, and you're just kind of figuring out whether this is the church for you or not, and you're kind of testing whether we're friendly or not, and what goes on, and how long the preacher preaches, and all that kind of stuff. And you're not quite yet convinced you belong here, but you think you might belong here. And you are welcome. I want you to know you belong here. And, okay? and then there's some of you that aren't really checking out the church. You're checking out God. And you really don't know about this whole thing. You're not sure about the religion thing. You're not sure about Jesus thing. You're not sure about the Bible. There's crazy stories in that book. Uh, you don't know what about that. You're not sure whether you belong here at all because you don't understand some of the language and some of that stuff that's going on. And you more than anybody else, even if you're not a believer or a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you belong here. Amen? You are one of us. In fact, the only prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus is that you are not a follower of Jesus, right? I mean, that's the way that works kind of a thing. And so we're glad you're here. And that exact issue of who is in and who is out and who belongs and who doesn't belongs was going on in, at the church at Ephesus. Uh, the, there was a, a group of uh, believers that lived in this... Whoa! <laughs> place. I'm going to have to grab that so that I don't preach too long. So me turning the clock over is where you all should be applauding at this point. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh. I guess I should put the battery back in it too, you think, maybe? That's too bad. I should have left that out. I could have just, you know, kind of said, oh. All right, we'll try this again. These are the challenges of worship on the lawn. All right. Um, and so anyway, at Ephesus, they were struggling with that. There were a group of people uh, that were Jews that thought they had it all figured out. And then all these Gentiles start showing up, and they start going, well, I'm not sure you belong here. I'm not sure you're doing it right. And so that was the struggle. Um, and so I just kind of want to give you a spoiler through all of this, and that is this. You belong here because the God of the universe says you belong here. 
And nobody gets to disagree with him. Nobody. You belong here because the God of the universe says you belong here. And nobody gets to disagree with him. Say amen to that. Because that's really important. Because honestly, churches from the very beginning, right in Ephesus, have gatekeepers. They kind of say, well, you're in and you're one of us, but you're not in. And well, you're close. If you kind of clean up your act a little bit more, then you can be one of us. And I am here to tell you the message that we're going to look at this morning is very, very clear. Nobody is a gatekeeper except God. And he has a very different standard than we do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 11 through 22. Uh, and if, you got, if you've got a bulletin, there's uh, the notes in there. And on the back of that, there's scripture. Or you can uh, use your uh, phone or anything. Uh, one of the best ones is BibleGateway.com. Uh, it's an easy one to use to get there. So... Um, Ephesians chapter 2. So now he's, uh, Paul, Paul is going to kind of um, ask them to kind of uh, deal with this issue of, of people who are in and out, of people you don't like, people who you don't think are good enough, all of that sort of thing. And he's going to use a lot of metaphors or word pictures. So you kind of need to turn your imagination on this morning, okay? Yeah, you guys are really quiet this morning. Is it too hot to say amen this morning? Yeah, man. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So beginning at verse 11, therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, uh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which performed in the flesh by hand. So he's talking to uh, the, uh, the Gentiles at this point, And he's saying, hey, remember, I want you to remember this. Uh, and the, the word for remember is remember that, that uh, it, it's, it's an imperative that says this is really important. Okay. And the kind of remembering is what we call active remembering. It's not the remember trying to remember where you put your keys this morning, you know? How many of you, the older I get, if I put my keys someplace other than where I normally put them, they're lost, like forever, <laughs> you know? It takes me forever to find. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about remembering something that's important on a regular basis, like the 4th of July. What do we remember on the 4th of July? Independence Day, the independence of our, our, our country. What do we remember on Thanksgiving? Turkey. Well... Yes, and thankfulness to God somewhere in there. <laughs> what do we remember on Veterans Day? There we go. You know, that's that who's buried in Grant's tomb kind of thing, you know. Uh, and so that's what he's talking about here is be actively remembering, okay? And here's what he wants you to remember, and he repeats that again. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. That is not something I would necessarily want to remember. I mean, that's a very bleak picture. In fact, the word for excluded is like really strong in the original language. It's like alienated, estranged, shut off from, uh, without fellowship or intimacy from both God and family. I mean, it doesn't get much stronger than that. And that's what he's saying to these Gentiles. He's saying, remember this, that you're not family. There was a time when you were not a part of the family, where you didn't belong uh, in all of this. And he goes on to say, and you have no hope. And the, the word there means that there's not ever a chance that you'll get into all of that. And so the image I, I kind of get of this is like a little kid that's, that's lost and alone and it's, and it's raining and, and they're in a, in a bad situation and there's no one there. That's kind of what Paul is saying it was like. There was a time. There was a time when you were far from God and never forget where you came from. And then verse 13, here's where the hope comes in. But now, I love that. But say, but now. 
Yeah, because this is that's the way it was, but now in Christ Jesus, you have uh, uh, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the image here is that when you were far away and you were lost and you were without hope, Christ came and found you. He sought you out. Every once in a while, I'll hear people say, I found God. And it's just a picky little thing from theologians, that sort of thing. But I really want to stop them and say, no, God found you. You didn't find God. He sought you out. He came after you. You one day became aware that he was pursuing you, and you let him catch you, but, but you didn't find God. God found you, and that's what he's saying here, that you've been brought near. You were far away, and now Christ found you and brought you back and brought you home. And, and the good news uh, is this. Your background doesn't matter, and your history is irrelevant. Okay, I know some of your backgrounds and histories. More of you should have said to say amen there, okay? Yeah. I mean, because that, that's what this is, is that he's talking about these Gentiles. He's talking to the Jews now about these Gentiles that were living horribly sinful lives before they found Christ. And the Jews are all like, we've got to make them do all this stuff, and they've got to be circumcised, and they've they got to follow all the rules and all of that. And, and he is saying to them, no, Christ has welcomed you. No matter what the sins of your past, no matter how many, no matter how bad they are, Christ has welcomed you. He sought you out and, and brought you back into the, into the family of God. I imagine this would have been a huge shock for the Jews because they were persuaded that, that they were the ones that had it all figured out. They had the law and they had the prophets and they had a couple of thousand years of following God and they were really persuaded that they were in and they were really persuaded that they knew who was out. And I would like to say that in this story, we are the Gentiles. But the truth of the matter is, most of us go to church for a long time, have been going to church for a long time. So we're really the Jews in this story. We're really the ones that kind of want to say, well, that guy, he's a little too rough and he doesn't got it together. And have you seen, you know, all that stuff all over him, those tattoos and his hair is a funny color and he shaved something and, and he dresses weird and all, all of that. We're really the ones that have to open up to what God wants to do. And, and uh, the idea of brought near is the idea not just of, of moving in, but the idea of being brought in emotionally, not just physically. And so Christ is saying, no, don't just tolerate these people who are different from you. He's saying you need to embrace them emotionally. You need to connect with them. You need to love them. And so in this passage, God is just kind of throwing the doors wide open. All the, all the gatekeepers are kind of get tossed to the side and they're falling down. And Jesus said, come on in, the whole crowd, come on in. Come on and be a, a part of this. And, and I love that because that fits with some other stories that Jesus told when he sto- told the story about the great banquet. You remember that story? The king threw the great banquet and he invited all the important people because that's what you did. But a whole bunch of the important people said, I don't want to come to your banquet. And the king was pretty upset. So he said, okay, go out and, and get the, uh, the, the lower end of the Jewish community. Get, get you know, those folks. And, and so we'll have them in, you know. And then that still didn't fill it up. So finally he said, just go out and get any sinner you can find anywhere. Just bring them all in. And God said, that's what the kingdom is like. He's just bringing it. He's got no standards. His only standard is the blood of Jesus Christ that can save you and purify you and make you whole. And this is the message Paul was giving to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now he, he turns and, and really focuses in on the Jews. Okay, this is us. Okay? For he himself is our peace, 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier and the dividing, dividing wall. So he is our peace. No one else, but he is our peace. Jesus has skin in the game on this issue. This matters to him. He's actively involved in resolving the conflict. And then to just, when one part of our body, just hear this church, when one part of the body of Christ rejects another part, we reject the peace of Christ. When one part of the body rejects another part, we reject the peace of Christ because that is what it says. He himself is our peace. The very blood of Jesus is given to us through him. You and I, we don't get to decide who's in and who's out. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay. Religious people, uh, we can be a little judgy sometimes. Someone want to say amen there? But it doesn't matter about all of that. Jesus broke down the barriers and the dividing walls. And there's a really interesting picture in the original language. The word for barriers is like a fence, right? You know, if you've got a fence between, it's like a few feet high and all of that. And um, I don't think I can anymore, but when I was younger, I could jump over a fence. Anyone want to say amen? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we could just pop over it. Now I'm pretty sure I'd hurt myself. I wouldn't try it anymore. But, but a fence is a relatively easy barrier to get over, it's, and it's easy to put up. And the, the, the second word there, the dividing wall, literally refers to a giant wall. And so he says, he says, he is the peace. He's broken down the small barriers between us that we need to live in love and care for one another. It's not okay to, to be clicky. It's not okay to say, well, they're good, and those, you know, those people. And, and he's broken down the big walls, those challenges where we bump into somebody where we go, I don't think they're in the kingdom of God. God says, none of your business. You don't get to decide that. It's one of the things I, I love about how we do church together. When, when we call for communion, when we call to come together, I don't get to decide who's worthy and who's not worthy. I don't know what's going on in your life. We welcome you to the table of Jesus Christ because it is there that you find redemption, amen? And regeneration. Uh, we don't dare rebuild walls that Jesus tore down. Think about that for a minute. If the Lord Jesus Christ tore the wall down, you want to be caught building it again? Not me. That's the message. God has torn down the walls between us and all the people who are different from us. And then he gets tougher, right? So he takes a step further. Verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh, this is how he tore down the walls, the hostility which is in the law composed of, of commandments expressed in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two one person in this way establishing peace. And the word for abolishing is really strong. It's not just that he tore it down. He like broke everything up so you couldn't build it again. It's the idea of to, to, to take the life force out of something is to abolish something in this one. Uh, that, that hostility that's a part of it. And he talked about the hostility. He's like, get over it. Stop being hostile. So this is the truth. Um, God's plan is that his church be wildly diverse. God's plan is that his church be wildly diverse. God's plan is that his church be wildly diverse. Oh, good. I thought we we're going to have to stay here till it was 100 degrees. Yeah. And, and by diverse, it's much more than just racial diversity, although it absolutely includes that, right? Y'all know that. But it, it's all the kinds of ways in which people do things and the ways in which they see things. It, it includes the rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless. They are all welcome in God's family. Uh, the people who got it together and the people who've made a mess of their life. 
the fitness freaks and the overweight people. Thanks be to God. The addicted. Now, you also be saying amen somewhere in this process. People that speak Spanish or Russian or Ukrainian or French or English is on and on and on. People with black skin and brown skin and white skin, blondes and brunettes and redhead, blue hair and pink hair and all of the ones in between, they are all welcome in God's kingdom, amen? That is the message that he's saying here. And when you reject this diversity, Jesus takes it personally because he paid for it with his blood, the very blood of Jesus Christ uh, for us. And now Paul goes even further. He's going to take another step here. Uh, I love this part of it where he says, he makes the two one person, one new person. Anyone recognize that language from somewhere else in the Bible? Like maybe Genesis, man and woman, and the two become one flesh. Yeah. He's making a direct allusion to that. Now, get this. It's, you, would, you don't catch it in English. But he's basically saying, all those people that drive you crazy and that you aren't sure in the kingdom and you don't like and, and they're too weird and all of that, it's not enough that I'm just going to break down the walls. You're getting hitched. <laughs> Nervous laughter out there, right? That's, that, that's the reference that the, the two become one, that somehow you learn to live together. And living together is a learning process, amen? Some of you have been married long enough to really know how that that, that works. And so uh, the, the, the idea here is that, that he is putting us that close together. That's the goal. That those who we think are, are a challenge and are hard for us and, you know, maybe we don't like their customs and their culture and all of that kind of stuff and all of that. He says, I want you to come together so that you actually not just tolerate each other, but that you love each other. And I, I know this is hard because we don't have a lot of cultural diversity here. But in my last church, there was a lot of cultural diversity, and there was a time when I could see it kind of flip over from a very white church to a multicultural church, and that was when we went from tolerating different cultures to celebrating different cultures. And we began to celebrate what we saw in the differences. We had the best potlucks in the world because they were from all over the world. You know, we, we celebrated the differences in people's styles and how they sang and, and how they prayed. And, and we often would have someone stand up and pray that didn't pray in English. I remember the first time I got onto that, we had a member of the church who was Samoan. Uh, and he was a great, great guy, a great worker. But standing on the platform was not his thing. He just didn't like that at all. And one Sunday I asked him if, if he would pray uh, for us during the service. And he's so pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I'm really not sure I can do that in English, which was weird because his English was excellent. He said, can I pray in Samoan? And I said, that's a really great idea. You should pray in Samoan. And so he stood up and he prayed in Samoan. And I don't know what it is. I didn't understand a word he said. And if you've ever listened to the Polynesian language, it's really, those are different kind of languages. But somehow in that moment, when we stepped across the line and we said it matters that people that don't speak the same language as us are a part of the kingdom, God moved in on that service. And it wasn't because we understood it, but because we saw that God loves all people and welcomes them and embraces them. Two become one. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both in one body, okay, back to that marriage language, to God through the cross by having put to death the hostility to reconcile, to bring back together, to fix the broken thing. 
Last week, I talked to you a little bit about the, the island of unfit toys or, or broken toys, you know. God is in the business of, of fixing broken things, of bringing things back together. And this is going to really, really date me, okay? So I apologize, but uh, Bill Gaither had a song that he used to sing, uh, Something Beautiful. Anyone remember that song, Something Beautiful, Something Good? Uh, one time I heard, uh, heard him at a concert, and, and he, he kind of gave an explanation about how that song came to him. And he said he was driving down the road, and he was looking at a house uh, in the neighborhood that was being torn down, and it was just broken boards and bent nails and pieces of junk everywhere. And it kind of came to him through the Lord. The Lord spoke to him and said, I am the God that can repair and build a home with broken boards and bent nails. And only God can do that. And that's what this is about. It's this idea that he's taken all of that stuff reconciled to take the broken things and bring it back together and make it what he intended it to be uh, in, in Jesus Christ through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, here's the deal. Sometimes I think as Christians, we forget that we have the power of the Holy Spirit because we start saying, well, I don't know if that can happen and that's really hard and I don't think that can be fixed and how are we ever going to get along with this? I want to say, have you heard the God we serve? The God who can do so much in us and through us. But some ways we become so competent that we think if we can't figure out how to do it, it can't be done. Now, that's a little bit hubris when you think about God, amen? That, that he can do so much because we were always meant to be one. Diversity is not a compromise. It's what God intended from the beginning with all of the differences. I mean, right in Genesis, remember all of the Genesis account, there's only one place where God says, this is not good when he's making creation. Remember what it was? It was Adam by himself. That was not good. So Adam made a woman, diversity, and it was good. Amen? You guys have, have you noticed men and women are different? Yeah, and I don't mean just on the outside. I mean, it's, in fact, last night we're, we're sitting there, you know, because it's hot in our house, because one of our air conditioners went out. So we've like, I'm turning out all the lights. I'm doing everything to kind of keep it cool. And Jody and I are sitting there talking, uh, and, and it's dark, and she's trying to work on this thing. And pretty soon she says to me, I need more light. Okay, that's a female way of talking. Because I looked at her and I said, yes, you probably do. Now, Jody's lived with me a long time. So she's figured it out. So she got more to the point. Go and turn on the lights. Oh, you want me to turn on the lights? Have you noticed men and women communicate differently? <laughs> yeah. Diversity. And, and that just multiplied times a thousand all through the world, all the kind of different ways uh, that, that things work and, and different people have different ways of doing it. And it's not bad. It's just a wonderful new thing that God wants to do in us, okay? Uh, it's not a compromise. Uh, it is an important part of what he's doing. But here's the deal. God will not tolerate things in the body of Christ that threaten his children. In fact, if you look back at that verse, uh, reconcile them in, in both, in, both in the body to God through the cross and by it having put to death the hostility. So this is literally an image of Christ killing something. And what he's killing is the hostility that develops within us towards other people. And so when I first read this, I thought, whoa, man, Jesus is getting pretty tough. 
But then I thought about it a little bit. We're the same way. You would not tolerate anything in your house that was a threat to you or your children, would you? So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. In the Pacific Northwest out here, we don't have anything that's really poisonous. We don't really have poisonous spiders, poisonous snakes. So as a little boy, I used to pick up snakes all the time and haul them off and do stuff and show them to my mom, who usually screamed and ran away, you know. And I'd put them down. I didn't think anything of it. And then we moved to the Midwest. Do you know that in the Midwest, they have snakes that can kill you? And two weeks before we moved into our parsonage in Kansas City, the lady across the street killed a cottonmouth in our yard. I didn't feel sorry for the cottonmouth snake at all. It's a deadly snake. Why? Because we kill those things that are a threat to the family. And so Christ did this. This hostility is a threat to the family of God. Okay, Verse 17, And he came and preached peace, say peace, to you who are far away, that was the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, for through him both uh, both have access in one spirit to the Father. And when he thought about peace, when Paul thought about peace, he thought about shalom, the Hebrew word, which is the idea of, of, of rightness, of connectedness. It's not just the absence of violence. It's the idea of the world has been made right. This is what God wanted for us. The, the Garden of Eden was shalom. And Christ has opened the door in our lives to have shalom with those people who are, are, who are difficult for us. Uh, through this, peace uh, far away and peace who are, are near, that we might have access to the Spirit through one. And the word you remember is Father. What do you call a dad, a mom, and a bunch of kids that all come from the dad and the mom? There we go. It wasn't a trick question, okay? Family. Family. And so Paul here is saying those people that are, that are Gentiles and those people that are Jews and all the different ones, we are family. Okay, say we are family. Okay, in our word, we like family, right? Because it's, it means, you know, people that aren't related to you by blood but are family. Say we are family. Yes. Um, shalom is more than the absence of conflict. It describes the world as God designed it to be. One family, one group of people. I can't wait to get to heaven. You know we are not going to just sing in English in heaven, right? We're going to sing in all the languages of the world. How many of you speak a language other than English? And I don't, you don't have to speak it well, but you just kind of, I know several of you, yeah. several. You get to speak in a language other than English. We should have a Sunday where we kind of give the people with other than English something to sing with so we can all hear it. Because there's something powerful when God's people come together and you hear all the different languages. I've, I've told you this before. Again, my last church with all the diversity. One of the things we would do from time to time is we'd just shut the band down and we'd sing a cappella and we had everybody sing in their native language. And you could just hear all of the languages. And it was like you were in heaven. It, it'd make, give you goosebumps in, on your, your arms because it was like, wow, that's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. I can't wait for that time when we're there. Heaven will be the most diverse place ever. Languages and people, in fact, people and languages that died out long ago are going to be there. It's going to be a wonderful place where we get to eat food from all over the world. You ever wondered what the food is going to be like in heaven? Clearly, you've never been hungry, okay? (laughs) I mean, it's going to be everything, everywhere. And I don't know this for sure, okay? I'm not preaching the Bible right here. I'm just going to tell you. But I am really positive that there's no calories in the dessert. Okay, it's just, it's going to be, 
I don't know, but I know that we're going to be there with all of the people from all over. Uh, He is our father and we are his family. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and foreigners. So now he's changed the metaphor, right? He's moved from family and now he's going to citizenship. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Again, family. So how many of you, when you're in high school, somebody told you don't mix your metaphors? Anybody hear that? You know, maybe you didn't mean Paul never got that lesson because he does it all the way through the rest of this sort of thing. So now he's talking about citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven with all of the rights and the privileges that are a part of that. He cares about you. You, you know that you have rights in the kingdom of God. You have rights that he's given to you. Uh, and he loves you through that. And then he does a new metaphor, right? Now he goes to a building. Listen to this. At verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, that's scripture. Scripture is written by the apostles in the New Testament and by prophets in the Old Testament. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So ancient buildings, not houses, but big buildings, were built out of large stones that were custom carved. It wasn't, you know, assembly line like bricks where they're all the same. So they'd have to put them in place and carve them to fit into that place. And they would set big stones on big stones. It would take hundreds of years to build buildings, and sometimes they would last for uh, a thousand years. And so he's saying the body of Christ, the church, is built on the foundation of Scripture, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ is the cornerstone. And in the ancient world, the cornerstone was the first stone that they would lay down, and they had to get it just perfect because everything else had to line up on that cornerstone. It was the the plumb line for how the corners were to be and where everything was in all of that. And so he's saying that the church of Jesus Christ is, the Christ is the cornerstone. Everything lines up with Jesus, amen? Everything lines up with Jesus. In fact, here's here's just a side note, but sometimes people come to me and ask me about the Old Testament because there's some crazy stuff in there. And they say, I don't know about this. Here's the deal. You read the Old you read all of the Bible, but especially the Old Testament, through the lens of Jesus Christ. That's how you read that. That's how you look at it. Because he is the cornerstone, and Scripture is what we're built on. Okay? Uh, having built on that foundation. Uh, the, simple, uh, the singular purpose of the church of, uh, is to be Jesus in a lost and broken world. We line up on him. Every follower of Jesus, this is your purpose. Look to the person next to you and say, your purpose is to be Jesus. Yes, and everyone belongs in the family, God's house, not ours. Listen to verse 21. So now he takes the building to a new level. To whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple. So you aren't just some average building. You're not a government house. You are a temple of the living God. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, you are a temple. Yeah, don't get insulted, okay? But you are a temple uh, in all of this, a holy temple. You are sacred uh, in that. If you are a follower of Jesus, the God of the universe lives in you. Think about that for a minute. Don't go rushing past that. Stop there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of this temple, and therefore the God of the universe lives in you. Wherever you go, Whatever you do, there God is with you, dwelling in you, wherever you are. Your neighbor is a part of that. So let me ask and close with this if our band uh, would come. What does Jesus want you to do based on what you've heard in the scripture today? What does Jesus want you to do 
Maybe there's an area of life where you need to be a little more accepting of someone you're not quite so accepting of. Maybe you need to reach out to somebody who's a little different than you. Maybe, maybe you need to get to know that neighbor that's like way different than you, you know, and, and love them in Jesus' name. I, I, I don't know, but I know this. I know we live in a world that is increasingly diverse, amen? It's just changing rapidly. And I don't speak their language a lot of times, and there's all that stuff in there, but it's okay. God's got this. This is what he intended from the very beginning, that we would be wildly diverse, and we have a great blessing. God is bringing the world to us. Let us love them in Jesus' name. Amen? Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us now. We're so thankful, Father, that it isn't just us little folk living up on uh, the hills up here in in Marysville, that you have a, a world of followers of you, Father, that come in all sizes and shapes, all languages, all cultures, Father, all kinds of things that are strange to us, Lord. But this isn't the first time the Church of Jesus Christ has struggled with this. So, Father, I pray that you would build us together as one temple, that we would recognize your spirit in others around us, Father. I pray that you would unite the body of Christ, that you'd bring us together. Don't let us get divided. Don't let us get separated from one another, that we might truly be the people you would have us to be, Father, to your glory and to your honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.